0: I am your host, Doc Chad Matthews, lordsofpain.net. Wherever you may be listening, Doc says, Doc says... Uh This is just what the doc ordered, I'm saying welcome, they sick of the other shows, Chad here to help them, the author of the Mania Era is bringing terror on L.O.P. Radio, this is the prepare for the knowledge that he about to showcase, like a bar that you lift, his opinions hold weight, he wrote a few books and he's working on another for y'all, this a five star podcast, Chad let's get it on. Author of the WrestleMania Era, the book of sports entertainment and of the doctor's orders on lordsofpain.net doc says. Pain. Doc says. Pain. Doc says. Pain. Hello and welcome to the doc says on LOP radio. I am your host, the doc, Chad Matthews, author of the WrestleMania era book series and of the doctor's orders on LordsOfPain.net. And wherever you may be listening, I thank you for making me a part of your day this week. It's the latest Sunday wrestling conversation. And I'm happy to be for the first time verbally conversing with the 2018 LOP columnist of the year, sir sam welcome to the show my friend
1: thanks very much doc thank you so much for having me it feels very strange to hear those words and you be talking to me because i've been listening to this podcast for for a number of years now Uh, and it's it's absolutely it's fantastic to to be finally making my debut
0: it's fantastic to have you on the show i've heard your voice (laughs) many a time working with the gentleman from the right side of the pond and i'm looking forward to this conversation and i think you know frankly man it's It's a rather timely one, given this Monday's WWE developments. I think the less said (laughs) about the wild card thing, the better. Uh, Wade Keller said it well. It's like giving unhappy kids ice cream instead of changing the environment that makes them unhappy. So today, rather than spend the next hour wallowing in disappointment, and that's really what it is, folks. It's fan discontent having proliferated to a point where wild card type decisions are expected While real change is not expected, Sam and I are going to offer some ideas of the logical type, and we hope that you'll find them plausible enough to not completely disregard them, because in reality, these ideas borrow from the success of sport. The often forgotten other half of Vince McMahon's quote-unquote euphemism to replace the term professional wrestling in the mainstream sport and entertainment industry lexicon. Why do people watch movies? like the Infinity War and and Avengers Endgame, or TV shows like Game of Thrones, or sports. To have an emotional reaction, to laugh, to cry, to become inspired, to feel vicariously the power of victory in this day and age of incredible athleticism unlike any previous era in pro wrestling history. I think the timing is right for companies like WWE to borrow from the drama of sports. Sam and I will each present two ideas from our favorite sports themes and demonstrate how they could work in a pro wrestling setting. And admittedly, after this week's events, I'm looking directly at you, Vince McMahon. Uh, <laughs> Sir Sam, please do the honors, man. What you got on deck first? Give us an idea yeah. from sport that would work for sports entertainment.
1: Yeah, so but just before we do get into this chat, I think credit where credit's due. This is a, an idea that I've kind of... Well, I presented this, you with this idea and, uh, because we're both fans of, of, sports outside of the WWE, but it is something that, um, I've taken some inspiration from one of the, the columnists on the LOP forums primetime. Um, so credit where credit's due. This is, this is us kind of riffing off his original idea, uh, and, I've yeah, I thought I've I've prepared a couple of different ideas, uh, and this has been something that's been banging around my my head for a little while. uh, In taking an idea from real-life sport that I've loved and a, 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 an engage, a thing that really engaged fans uh, in that sport and, and translating it over to pro wrestling. Uh, and for me, one of the the ones that really stands out for me is John Cena's chase to break Ric Flair's record of, of 17 world championships. Now, we could probably argue all day what that actually means. The the point is that's a, that's a record, uh, and it's a significant one, one that stood for a long time uh, and one that John Cena, who is – you Note know, for controversial, but is undeniably a a giant, a titan in the history of sports entertainment and the history of pro wrestling, uh, and he is equal with another titan, Ric Flair, on having held the world championship sixteen times. Uh, and the the thing that frustrates me about this story is just the the inevitability of it. Uh, because we, of course, as, as fans who know what the, what the, the, what the deal is with pro wrestling, uh, we know that it's scripted, we know that it's, it's all prepared, and we know that the WWE loves a good statistic and loves to break a record. So the thing that frustrates me about this particular story, uh, is, for John Cena, is just the sheer inevitability of it. It feels like whenever he shows up, we're one promo away from him getting himself into a world title match and it just being a fait accompli that he is going to win it. And that is super boring to me. It would be, you know, something that they can play in highlight reels. It'd be something they can have some fireworks behind if they want to spend the money on it. Mm-hmm. But it's it, it just seems... Too, boring, too plain and too obvious. Uh, so I've, I've actually taken um, – I don't know how much you know about cricket, Doc. Have you, uh, you're American, so I know it's not a, a big sport in America. How much do you know about cricket?
0: I know very little about cricket. I know that cricket exists and that it's popular in other parts of the world. <laughs> but <laughs> outside of that, I don't know much at all. Oh, hold on, hold on to your butts, as they
1: say. <laughs> I'll, I'll try and keep it so that you can understand it. The, the English fans out there will completely know where I'm coming from, but I'll try not to get too much into the weeds because it is, it can be a complicated game and a difficult one to understand. Um, but in the, in the history of it, uh, I've got two alternatives for this John Cena story. One I prefer, but is realistically just not going to happen and one that I've kind of laid out as something that the WWE could do. Uh, Now, in the history of cricket, there is one player who stands above them all, Don Bradman. Uh, He was a a player from the mid... from the Australian cricket player, started in about 1928 and ran through to 1948, 49 or so. And he is, by some stretch, by a long way, the greatest batsman to ever play. Um, He... He has an average of 99. Uh, now, to people who don't watch cricket, that is that means nothing. Um, but to to give you an equivalent of how further ahead of the pack he is, there was a person who did some statistics, some standard deviations to work out who's the greatest athlete or sports person all time, statistically. Uh, and they concluded it was him to be the equivalent of that, to translate this into American sport. Michael Jordan would have had to have scored an average of 43 points per game. Wow. Uh, Jack Nicholas would have had to have got 25 majors, and apparently the batting average of Babe Ruth or whoever the baseball record holder is would have need to have been 0. .392. Uh, now, a lot of those men don't mean anything to me, but that is how far ahead of the rest of the pack Don Bradman was. Wow. Now, okay. That's impressive. A, yes, very impressive. So an absolute historically. People say he's basically the god of cricket. <laughs> gotcha. if, you, if, if 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 cricket's a religion, particularly in Australia, Don Bradman is god. Um, now he had a, another record, a high score of 334, which stood for a long time in Australia. Uh, he was it was scored in the late 1940s after after World War Two. It was scored on a tour of England, and until the 90s, no Australian player had ever broken that. That score, um, for one innings, so one one match, he'd scored three hundred and thirty four. Okay. Uh, now an Australian captain at the time, Mark Taylor. Uh, this was in the late nineties, I think, in nineteen ninety eight. He was having a, a an amazing day, and he ended up at the end of the day. Cricket, a test match goes over five days. Uh, at the end of the day, he ended up equal with Don Bradman on three hundred and thirty four, not out. So he could have kept batting the next day, but instead he decided to declare equal with Don Bradman on that high score that had stood for 50 years and and made that, that number in Australian cricket just a magical number ready for the next person who goes past that it. it's even more historical because Mark Taylor, the captain, chose to put the team ahead of his own individual pursuits Wow! Uh, and also chose to make that number extra special by declaring Stopping the innings, his own innings on equal on three hundred and thirty-four uh, with Don Bradman. So that would be my template. Would be just John Cena comes out and he says he he comes out for a promo and he says, look, and maybe he has it. Maybe has one attempt at the World Championship and fails at it. And he comes out and says, look, I, on a lot of reflection, I am I am no longer in this game. The guys who are full time now, I can't keep up with them. They're they're no longer I. I try my hardest, and you know, you've seen me year in, year out. I give this everything I have. This this wrestling wrestling has given me everything I have in the world, but I will never be a world champion again. And I am going to make this number, this number 16 with Ric Flair, I am going to stand on level pegging with another immortal in this industry. Uh, now, I think that would be amazing, personally. I think that would be absolutely amazing, and it would set up. Can you imagine what it would be like when the next person eventually gets there? Who knows what it's, who it's going to be, but when the next person gets there, that's setting that up to be something amazing. It's probably not going to happen. So, uh, I think... I'll, actually, I might just get your, your reaction to that one there,
0: firstly, Doc. Yeah, absolutely. I think what we'll do, I'll go, you'll go, then or you'll yep. go, I'll go, then you'll go, then I'll go. Um, hmm. My reaction to yours is that it makes me wonder whether or not John Cena would actually benefit greater from that than he would actually winning number 17. Because with the people who care about that record most, I think that there may be a collective groan, depending upon how it might actually be done. If he does get to number 17, I think that there could be a very strong possibility for a collective groan in response to it. But if he were to come out and do what you've suggested, then I think that's going to stand as one of the more iconic moments of John Cena's career if he handles it as well as I think he would if he was given that opportunity. Because John Cena, when he is passionate about something and when he's on, then there, are better, there, there aren't that many better promos in the modern era. Um, I think he could pull that off incredibly well. I think it would get a great response. I think it would set up an incredible story for later as mentioned like and and I would I think it would be great if he had one shot at the title like let's say as if for instance that this SummerSlam rolls around the one championship at the top of the tier that John Cena has not yet held as the universal title he comes out in an early July or mid-July promo segment with Seth Rollins and he challenges him and everybody goes into it assuming like you mentioned that we're going to get the predictable, boring result, and John Cena's going to get number 17. But Seth Rollins beats him clean with the stomp, and in the following night on Raw, John Cena comes out, has Ric Flair invited, and says what you just said. Or or maybe like three weeks later or something like that to give it time Mm. to sink in. It'd be huge for the guy who he put over in that situation, by the way. I think it'd be great for both the title and Seth Rollins if that was to happen soon. But... I mean, imagine the resonance that it would create with John Cena, who has often struggled to gain that emotional resonance from a lot of the critical type fans in our community. So, I think that's a great idea.
1: Yeah, and it, funnily enough, that you you would mention that it's definitely enhanced Mark Taylor's legacy. It's it's a legendary thing that he did uh, as as the captain of the Australian cricket team, which is already a position that's held in absolute reverence in Australia. There's a joke that it's the uh, the most important. Uh, the most important position in Australia and the second most important is the prime minister. So, (laughs) uh, um, so, so absolutely. And, and funnily enough with, you mentioned him, him attempting once. So Mark Taylor, when he did that, they had one over left, which is six balls Uh, and Mark Taylor uh, one over left in the day. He was on 334. And for the first time that day, he just could not find the gaps. He could not score the run he needed. It was like there was some sort of wall that was preventing him then he declared, and then it was well. It's, as I said, it's legendary, um, and and yeah, I think you could definitely you could you could take that on. Do I think it's going to happen? Probably not, because it's just it's just not the WWE style to do that. That's not the way they operate. They they would be looking to you know no one Roman Reigns demolished Kane's record. He didn't equal it at the Royal Rumble. Those sorts of records. In I feel like for the WWE, they're set up to be broken, not to special if that makes any sense
0: the only reason i think it it has any sort of remote possibility of happening and i'm i am the type of fan historically recent years have sort of jaded me to the wwe experience and my my creative energy that i would once put toward coming up with these stories that were likely to not happen but that could plausibly happen um you know i don't really have a whole lot of energy for that anymore but that said (laughs) Think about this for a second with this. It, like, let's say that John Cena was to hear this idea and and decide, man, that's an incredible idea. I would like to do that. And he put his foot down and he made it happen. And he, put, and he put forth the kind of story that we just talked about. Is there anything in his career that he's done to date that you would put much higher than that on the list of things that he's done if that were to actually, actually happen?
1: Certainly, legacy-wise, it's hard to hard to think. Um, you know, maybe letting The Rock beat him. Uh, you know, the the other thing I could think is how he handled One Night Stand uh, really early on in his career, where he had that that crowd that was so against him, uh, and he he sort of played into that and allowed them to have that night, uh, as opposed to. Uh, I think I think that gets underrated, honestly, how he how he performed at the One Night Stand against Rob Van Dam. Uh, same
0: thing with punk in
1: 2011 oh yes absolutely 100 percent. yeah exactly
0: um he was always yeah. good at that you know walking into yeah. hostile environments that's actually in the first edition of my book in john cena's chapter i wrote down here are the top five here are the top five matches in which john cena had to keep his cool under a, an incredible amount of negative pressure coming from the fans in the home arena um Uh, Toronto was one Miami was one Chicago Mm. was one and of course the Hammerstein was definitely Mm. one of them as well so yeah man I think that that would rank in his top five instantly if he were to pull something like that off and you know frankly I I just uh, that might be right up there at the very very top I think the the match with John Cena is a big part of his legacy it's currently I mean, it's never going to be topped unless WWE at some point um, decides to bring back the popularity of pay-per-view. You know, it's going to go down in history as the most purchased pay-per-view in WWE lore. The number one selling WrestleMania in that regard. I mean, it will always hold that record. So that's a big feather in his cap. But I think this moment that he could create in this day and age where wrestling fans are obsessed with moments... That would be a huge one. So I love it.
1: Thanks. Well, WWE interns listening, please, please pitch it to the great man.
0: (laughs) We'll add him. We'll add Vince McMahon and at WWE when I post this podcast. Well, all right. Well, I guess that makes it my turn. And the first thing that I would like to present is an idea that takes a, a page out of the playbook of the NBA playoffs. Uh, do you guys follow basketball much in Australia of the NBA variety? I know it's somewhat popular there.
1: Yes. Uh, Australia is very heavily influenced by American culture. Well, American culture dominates Western culture in general. And so it, it, it's not what I'd call a major sport. It, it's, it is kind of a niche similar, probably a little bit more popular than pro wrestling here. But I think it helps that we've got a few Australians who've, who've done well there. Oh, yeah. Uh, over over the years, you know the Andrew Bogarts, Ben Simmons at the moment, uh, and there's there's a whole host of them who are you know not the top absolute top star level, but have have played you know pro- featured very prominently. So it certainly gets a gets a role in the papers when they're doing well.
0: Cool. Well, I'm a huge NBA playoffs fan. This time of the year really has dominated my extracurricular time. Much of it is spent on the NBA playoffs and the drama of the NBA playoffs stems from the idea of finding a way to beat a team over the course of a series of games. So in their case, it's best four out of seven. So first round, conference semifinals, conference finals, and NBA finals, all best four out of seven. The tactical adjustments, the posturing with the referees, the natural heat stemming from clashing personalities and playing philosophies, the post game quotes the ebbs and flows and momentum in game the trash talking it's all there it's all very dramatic and it's all very interesting and i think that this day and age one of the things that sports in general have done well through through opportunities like espn sports center and all the highlights that are so readily available and all the opportunities to share opinion is they do a really good job of milking the the inherent drama as well as creating other wrinkles of drama. So the WWE playoffs is what I would like to propose as an idea. 16 wrestlers, 8 from Raw, 8 from SmackDown, determined by, get this, wins, losses, championships, and accolades accumulated during WrestleMania no. season. <laughs> So wins and losses, as Cody Rhodes has said about what AEW will feature, they do matter. There's 28 Raws and SmackDowns between the typical Monday after WrestleMania and then the uh, roughly right around when the July pay-per-view takes place three months later. 28 Raws and 28 SmackDowns, uh, or excuse me, 28 combined Raws and SmackDowns, plus three pay-per-views, one in May, June, and July, culminating in what we're going to call some variation of, and I'm not the creative one here, WWE, you take your creative team and put them to use here, but the July pay-per-view is going to be dubbed the Finals, and it's going to feature a one-night best four out of seven falls match. Now, this is, obviously, this is such a total departure from what WWE has ever done, and because of that, there would be a natural tendency, I think, to think immediately this would be overbooked and it would be like TNA would have done something along these lines 10 years ago. So that said, I think this idea could work very well because we're in this day and age, Sam, where wrestling fans love wrestling matches. The demand for great quality wrestling matches with stakes and that really blow the doors off of an arena is at an all-time high. Fifteen years ago, if you would have told me that you know wrestling Twitter would exist, that the internet wrestling community would essentially encompass a humongous portion of the dominant pro wrestling fan base, everybody's got the internet. The people who like wrestling get on the internet and read about it. And what are they reading about? They're not reading about the blow-by-blow for what happened. They're reading about... The This Is Awesome era and all of the great matches that take place and this many stars and this kind of rating and, you know, the match quality matters more than ever. So if you had this scenario in which you were presenting a series of matches between a roster of talent, 16 total wrestlers, 8 from each brand, putting them in situations where 2 are going to meet in the finals of a unique match type that really is just Two out of three falls on steroids. It's just a couple of more falls. I thought about an Iron Man match, but I don't think that because the Iron Man match has a specific, finite, fixed time attached to it, that people really respond that well to it in a live setting. But I think if you were to cart out something like a, a four out of seven falls match, then you've got the better opportunity to create the kind of drama that something like the gauntlet matches of the last two years leading to Elimination Chamber have been able to, to earn from the audience. A, a lot of great reaction, a lot of enthusiasm, not because there was this 30-minute time limit or the number of falls mattered within, within a certain period of time. It basically gave them, they could go for an hour and a half. They could have an incredibly long match and find a way in this day and age, I think, to keep it interesting. So I'm just going to give you an example. This is what I propose from raw right just, now.
1: Before you do that, Doc, can I just clarify? So at each stage of the knockout tournament, they're having a best of seven.
0: Well, here's how it goes. In the first okay, round, yep. in the first round set to take place in the three weeks immediately following WrestleMania, you would have best of three series. I've got currently from each roster: Seth Rollins versus Cedric Alexander in the number one versus number eight matchup; AJ Styles versus Ann Uso, Baron Corbin versus The Miz; Samoa Joe versus Drew McIntyre. From SmackDown, I've got Kofi Kingston versus Xavier Woods in the one-eight; Daniel Bryan and Ali in the two-seven; Finn Balor and Randy Orton in the three versus six seed; Roman Reigns and Buddy Murphy as the four-five. Best of three series, the first three weeks after WrestleMania accomplished that. The next ten weeks, you have best of five series in in the conference semifinals and the conference finals equivalents with the rosters. By that point, you're about 12 weeks removed from when this whole process began and you get to the WWE finals. So that's the four out of seven. This four out of seven falls. You take that and you end up with, say, a Seth Rollins versus a uh, Daniel Bryan. What this does, I think, as, as as complicated as it might seem based on all the, the, the four out of sevens and one out of threes and one through eight seeds and all that jazz. I think what it would essentially do, Sam, is it would give people a reason to watch the TV shows because the end game is going to matter. You're going to get to a point where these guys have had to wrestle each other. Their promos largely built around match-to-match, what adjustments they're going to make, the intensifying drama. Somebody says something in one scenario where it gets a spark turning in the other guy, and it just goes back and forth, and you end up taking those themes that make the NBA playoffs so great, with the clashing personalities, the wins and losses, the tactical adjustments. They could posture with the referees, like has been the case in the the Rockets and Warriors series over here in the States during, during the, 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 one of the more anticipated series of the year. You go, you've got all these different opportunities that would stem from borrowing from that level of sport. So that's, that's my first idea, is let's take those three months following WrestleMania, which are historically some of the more mundane months on the wrestling calendar, And let's give them a purpose and give them a reason to take place and make you invest in television matches that in this day and age don't seem to amount amount to anything or count for anything. And let's change that dynamic.
1: That's that's the first thought that I had when you suggested that, was that this would, you know, so often we just hear, it's a throwaway match. It doesn't matter. It's a throwaway match. And this would make those matches count. Um, These matches, you'd have a reason to... To tune in, and, and I would say the best. This sets up for the best wrestlers. This sets up such a mouth-watering proposition because I, I feel like uh, the best wrestlers, the really, really good ones, when they have a series of matches against one another, it gives them an opportunity to to tell those stories that progress over the over the course of the the series of matches. You know, you, they might start out with someone wins in a certain way, and in the next match they the the opponent comes back with a counter to that way that they were bested and then there's a counter on top of counter and and it just builds up these these tapestries and these these sequences and sequences that that work together and that fans fans who dig deep remember and i think that's that would that sets up so perfectly the chance for that thing that sort of thing to happen in the match and then there's the stories on top of that the as you talked about you know you you you've got them posturing for the referees. You've got maybe, maybe they start out in a agreement, you know, wrestling quote unquote honorably or something, but things get out of control. One of them gets two matches behind in a, in a best of five series. And all of a sudden the mongrel comes out of them and, and uh, they're in a desperate situation. So they react to that, you know, that, that, that shows a different aspect of their character that you hadn't seen before. Uh, it, It, yeah, I really like this idea for how it could do that. And I've just written down in relation to how things build, you know, like the series is between that we've seen recently between, you know, Kenny Omega and Kazuchika Okada, they built on one another and showed the progression of these two wrestlers. But at the, at the start, one was a little bit ahead, but then the other one caught up uh, or even just last year, Seth Rollins and Dolph Ziggler, they had a lot of, that sort of building on top of matches that they'd previously had uh, where it just, I think it adds so much to those matches for the people who dig deep. And I think one of the biggest problems that us as fans have is we, we love this. We love this medium. We love wrestling and we want to be able to sink our teeth into it. Um, But at the moment, as You've kind of said in the WWE, it feels like when you when you go deeper, things that's when things get worse and it starts to fall apart. And you're almost rewarded for having a a, a fan uh, an outlook like where you where you don't pay much attention uh, and where you only watch the pay per views. And that's I guess that that's a sad sad way to be. And this would pro- that would prove this would prove an antidote to that if, if done right and if handled well uh, and if if they're able to take that that uh, that formula does work so well in the NBA uh, and I imagine draws incredible ratings, draws incredible interest. You, you seem to, I don't I know from listening to your podcasts and listen, reading your columns that over at this point of the year, you normally tune out a bit as a wrestling fan to focus on this other, this other sport that you love. And this would, I guess, capture that sort of, that fervor um, that is definitely missing at this time of the year uh, and and could lead to just so many great just organically lead to so many great stories and it's not something that's too far off they have fiddled with tournaments on the network particularly you know you've got had the cruiserweight classic of course the the may young classic has has happened twice i'm assuming it'll happen again this year there's been the two worlds collide tournaments this year you know it's It would be a big a big change but it is something they've kind of dabbled with a little bit on the out on the outside
0: and i think the thing about something like this is that they if they have nothing to lose by trying the risks that they take Mm. creatively in this day and age are are just there's no substance to them you know it's like this whole thing with um you know with the wild card it's like the problem is we need more star power on each show so Randomly, and you'll never know when or why these three wrestlers from the other brand will show up and it'll be great because there's gonna be wrestlers from the other brand on this brand every week so but we're still doing a brand split so so you you do remain loyal to that but then you're gonna have these guys coming from this brand it's gonna be great. you're gonna love it. I'm a genius and you're like wait a minute. No, that's not going to make things better. I guarantee you ratings are going to continue to go down through this thing that they're doing. It's just not interesting. If it's not interesting, it's not going to work. So trot out this new idea. Have the commentators commit to it, focus on it, and further the drama. Have there be things like, you know, a guy who's emerging who you really want to see get to that next level. Like, um, like, I mean, think about if Jimmy Uso win in this tournament and went on a crazy run. Or if um you know Chad B- Gable. Or yeah, Chad Gable <laughs> or Ali, or Mustafa Ali. Oh, you know, if he ended <laughs> up beating Daniel Bryan in the first round, or if you took that kind of idea that you were talking about, I liked what you said about how you could have a guy go down, maybe even unexpectedly go down in one of the early game or in one of the early matches, maybe even go down two oh in a later round. But imagine if like if, if, in my example with Kofi versus Xavier in the first round, imagine if Woods goes up 1-0. The type of stuff they could pull out over the next week, wondering, wow, is Woods going to knock off his, his best friend in the first round? Is going to beat the WWE champion in the first round? I mean, that type of stuff creates inherent drama and inherent reasons to watch. I don't think that they have anything to lose by trying something radical. Even though it's not radical, it's borrowing from something that works in a different in a different medium. So why not try it? It's there on the table. It always has been. So um, I think that would be I think that would be cool. All right,
1: I agree. It would be it would be a big change. Would require a lot of you know a lot of change to the philosophy of how they do things creatively. But I, I feel like for them, the risk at the moment is not changing anything. Agreed. It, yeah, the risk is, and I I think it was planned even. Plan may have said that initially but i i could not agree more The the risk is you know currently the way things are headed is not not grand um and the risk is is not trying these new things and not and, and keeping everything the same
0: yeah indeed mm. yeah absolutely yep. so uh let's move on to your second idea
1: yes i've actually <laughs> i um i i've <laughs> Prepared to, and I'll, I'll let you pick which one you prefer to hear. It would be the, the sec, either the second option for John Cena getting his, um, 17th title victory, the, I guess the, the happy ending where he does win it. Or, uh, the alternative is I do have one where I've prepared for the breakup of the new day. What would you, what would you prefer?
0: Oh to man, hear? let's, let's keep it fresh. Let's go with the new day.
1: Yep. Okay. Excellent. So this is once again based on cricket. Uh, <coughs> However, it's 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 more to do with I guess the the interpersonal drama that can happen in sport, um, because you know you've got in any sport and any any team sport you have a, an interesting blend of individuals having to work together for a team, for a team result. But it is ultimately these individuals who are often very high achievers, often very strong personalities, and often sometimes can rub up against one another unexpectedly, uh, and in in this one, I am taking two of Australia's greatest ever players in cricket: Shane Warne and Steve Waugh. Shane Warne is arguably the greatest bowler ever. Uh, he, if he's not the greatest bowler ever, he's definitely in the top five. Uh, he he did a lot of things that redefined the way he bowls leg spin, which is I'm not going to bore you to death with what that <laughs> what that entails, but he he kind of brought that back in a in people thought that that sort of bowling was no longer in the modern game. It was no longer usable. It wasn't possible. He brought that back and and became one of the most, the greatest bowlers ever. And then Steve Waugh uh, is the second character in this story. He's <coughs> one of Australia's best batsmen, uh, renowned for his grit, renowned for his courage, uh, renowned, and was... A, a very successful captain of the Australian team. Now these two kind of came up in a similar, at a similar time. Steve Waugh was a few years older than Shane Warne, uh, but they, they came through the ranks and uh, at a similar time and matured uh, as players at a similar time gotcha. and, and sort of took the, took the world stage at a similar time. And they're actually by all accounts from, I love both of these players for different reasons. Shane Warne was my idol as a child. I, I, Tried to, I tried to make my hair look like his. Very much failed to do it. I, I tried to bowl like him. And Steve Waugh, uh, as I've grown older, has become someone I very much admire and respect for the way that he approached things. And um, so I've read, you know, all their autobiographies and biographies and those sorts of things. And gotcha. the, by all accounts, they were quite good friends uh, growing up uh, and, and coming up through the scene. However, when Mark Taylor, the person I was speaking about before, when he retired as captain, uh-huh. it was who was going to be the captain of the Australian cricket team was kind of put down to those two. Uh, And Steve Waugh was the one that was eventually chosen. So you've got two friends that were high achievers and and both in their own right, different disciplines. Steve Waugh was ultimately a batsman. Shane Warne was a bowler. Um, Two of the very best in the country and one ended up being elevated above the other. And that caused... A lot of tension, um, particularly since Shane Warne at that time went through, and it it could have been to do with this, it may not have been he went through a period of poor form um, where he he was bowling really poorly and he ended up actually being dropped from the side Uh, and the people who make the decision to drop it are the captain the vice captain and the coach, the time the captain was Steve Warne, the vice captain was Shane Warne and there was another person as the coach but that Shane Warne took that incredibly personally, mm. uh, he, and, and that irreparably damaged their relationship. And you could argue that he'd never bowled quite as well under Steve Waugh as he did uh, under future captains once Steve Waugh retired and, and different people took over. And I guess Warne felt like he could project his personality more, and, and he felt more at home in the team once Steve Waugh was gone. So what I, what I had with that is, and it could be done right now, in fact, is I, I kind of, you don't have the case of two people going up together, but you do have the, the new day have always been very egalitarian. But recently, one of them has been very much elevated. Kofi Kingston is, is a lot higher and has been elevated a lot higher than the other. Uh, and what I can, what I would see from that is is take the charisma of Xavier Woods uh, and have him use that and, and start to get a little bit jealous. And as he gets jealous of Kofi, his performance goes downhill as a result and and the wwe has a way of overdoing these sorts of things but it, it can merely be glances at the title belt uh, like longing like kind of longing glances at kofi's title belt and and you see slowly his performance decreases and there's always been that sort of i guess feeling around xavier wood that he w- if there was a link weak link of the new day it would be him uh, and as his performance goes down Perhaps the New Day has a chance to take the tag team titles Uh, and Kofi and Big E and and Xavier uh, backstage saying, well, who's going to to be the ones that go in this? And Xavier Woods makes a plea, an impassioned plea saying, I I can do this. I've done this before. But everyone knows that his results aren't matching at the moment and, and the way that he is performing will not allow them to take this take this championship and will not allow them to get this win. And so Kofi says, mate, we've got to – it's going to have to be me and E if we're going to do this as a team. It's going to have to be me and E. And the thing that I like about that is typically it's the jealous person is the one that attacks. But in this case and, – and so the jealous person is the one that then becomes the bad guy. But I, in this case, it's Kofi Kingston – who is acting believably. He, he wants the best for his team as, I guess, almost the leader of the team. Now he's the WWE champion. Uh, and so he's acting in the best interest of the team. But for this individual, it's just a pill that he can't swallow, a bitter pill that he can't swallow. And that's ultimately what causes the the New Day to rupture uh, and and for them to go off in their own way. Uh, to, that's a lot more, I guess, that's a lot more of a, uh, a dramatic sort of character driven thing than than what you've you've suggested doc I, i'm interested to hear what you think of that um you know taking that story from cricket and, and placing it into wrestling
0: i think that's awesome and and the whole time that you were going through the second half of it you know what classic wwe iconic feud i was thinking about
1: go bret for it hart,
0: bret hart versus owen hart
1: oh yes exactly think- i can't believe i didn't think of
0: that yeah <laughs> I mean, there's some obviously it takes it in some in some directions that would be unique to the modern era with this particular group. But I think that would be incredible. I mean, that's that's the kind of story that WWE, you know, it's on the table for them to do anything like this, as I think Samuel Plan does such a good job of pointing out, you know, WWE limits itself so much creatively and they don't have to. I mean, they have so much story that they can tell. I completely disagree with the old Kevin Nash assessment that there's like six stories you can tell in pro wrestling. It's like, no, that's ridiculous. You know, there's six basic categories for storytelling. I I don't buy that because what you've just described has really only been done to any sort of degree of maximum success once. Another popular example from a long time ago would be Hulk Hogan and Paul Orndorff, but um, also kind of following on the jealousy and doing it quite well. But I think Xavier Woods has the ability to pull off the jealous guy incredibly well. I would love to see that. I think that would be a very compelling story. And about the only thing I think that would genuinely be accepted across the board if the New Day broke up. It couldn't just be this random, um, you know, I wanted more money, so I turned heel type thing. It would need to be this juicy sort of meaty, lengthy storyline. If they did that, that would be absolutely incredible. I love that idea. I love that our natural dichotomy here, the stories we're telling, is you're telling more dramatic stories, mm-hmm. and the stuff that I'm suggesting is, is 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 a lot more cut and dry. So, I mean, I think that, that creates a nice little dichotomy there. It's a great, I love that idea. I think that's awesome.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. And all I'm thinking about is just characters. I think in fiction nowadays, popular fiction, people want characters that are not black and white, and people just say shades of grey. Oh, he's a tweener. That's not what I mean at all. Because we're trying to, we're putting these wrestling terms onto something that's entertainment and something that's well i I think it's performance art so i'm kind of verging into that territory but it's just characters who you believe their motivations uh and and they're in situations that require them to make difficult decisions that can hurt other people uh you know and sometimes it's it's the jealous one is the one that you've got sympathy for and the high achiever but the high achiever who's made this call is also justified and you can see that as an as an audience we can see that we don't have to necessarily say this person's the good guy this person's the evil guy you do this because you're evil you do this because you're good it's I, I like it when there's more layered motivations and hopefully i was able to catch that and i'm glad you liked it
0: yeah absolutely and I, I think of characters that you can draw from sport i'm reading a book right now on kobe bryant who is um
1: mm.
0: you know basically very
1: interesting character
0: very interesting guy You know, I'm I'm reading, right now I'm about to his third NBA season, which is circa roughly 2000, the year 2000. And it's the first year that the Lakers won the championship. But the whole backstory of just his, the complete different type of personality he had than Shaquille O'Neal. They mix like oil and water because Shaq was very naturally gifted, but he just kind of wanted to win on his terms. And he probably left a lot of championships on the table because of it. Whereas Kobe Bryant was probably second to Michael Jordan, the most competitive son of a bitch that's ever played basketball. And, you know, I mean, he would rip your heart out if it meant that he would win. That was just the kind of competitor that he was. And he was pathological about it to a degree. People say that about Michael Jordan, and it was true. But what was interesting about Jordan that I think would be a fascinating angle to explore with a wrestling character is that everybody loved Michael Jordan but he was still a complete prick in real life especially when it came to winning i mean he would try to do whatever he could to make sure that he won he was as sore loser as sore lo- as sore losers go he he i mean it would kill him to lose so to see someone at the top of a wrestling promotion who wins all the time who is beloved but actually kind of in behind the scenes ish if you will in backstage moments it's very obvious that he'll do whatever it takes. He will drive himself to the ground, and he will step on so many toes and heads to stay at the top and to win, because that's what he's all about. It's not about hustle, loyalty, and respect, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, it's that on the t-shirt, and he believes it, but it's also, I'm the damn champion. I'm the man. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the champ, and I'm going to stay that way, borrowing from the old classic John Cena thing, because I've always thought that could have been a way that they could have gone with him to quote-unquote turn him heel while actually never turning him heel because that type of dichotomy, the face-heel dynamic there doesn't matter. He's just a character that's got multiple dimensions and some of those dimensions people love but a lot of those dimensions people hate. So.
1: And wouldn't we believe it? Wouldn't we eat it, ate that up and believe that it was exactly what was happening?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I want to close... My side of this, and then take a few minutes to talk about one other thing. My other idea is uh, is a lot simpler, and it's really something that companies like New Japan are liberally and quite effectively using already. And that's just allowing the pro wrestling versions of Nadal versus Federer, of Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady. Of LeBron versus Kevin Durant, or if you could have rewound the clock ten years ago on LeBron versus Kobe when Kobe was at his peak, to allow those types of things to just take shape on the grandest stage, and you know it's in the Super Bowl, in Wimbledon finals, in in the NBA finals, and when you put the championship up for grabs in the biggest match of the year with two characters that have been built all year or longer to get to that point, then. That main event of the biggest show of the year just feels like the ultimate achievement. You know, To win in that moment feels like the biggest possible thing you can do in the industry. And WWE's gotten really far away from that. They build to that and simply find new ways for it to happen in New Japan, but they don't do that in WWE. This is something I wish was a habitual thing, but it's not a habitual thing. It used to be... And even back in the day, it's not it, they had other things they could go to. For every Hogan versus Savage, the two titans of the early WrestleMania era, you had a Hogan versus Andre, which isn't the same thing. It's not the best versus the best or the, the biggest star versus the best star. It's not that. It's That was more like a dream match type scenario. Rock Hogan, Rock Cena, they've had these other opportunities to do that in main events. But if you look at it, Sir Sam, I mean, to any... Are there really that many matches that stand out to you in WrestleMania history particularly? Or even SummerSlam history, where it's just two guys organically winning a lot, getting hot with the crowd, um, you know, hit, doing exactly what you expect of a headliner in a big match headlining situation leading up to a show like WrestleMania or SummerSlam, where there's just kind of that extra aura there? In your in the history of WWE, particularly of those two events, it just doesn't seem like there's many instances of WWE capitalizing on that actually very simple thing.
1: I I would tend to agree with you there. You know, and just thinking about recent years, you know, where was the John Cena CM Punk? Uh, where was the where was the Shield triple threat? <laughs> uh, you know, that's always like, going to be a big you know, missed it's opportunity. Never going to to and there's, you know, I think there is a good chance that they, we may end up with Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns this year, and that would be, you know, there actually there has been one person they've tried to do it with, but the problem is the dance partners they put in with has been have not been also at his contemporary level as being like this is the biggest stars of this current generation. Roman Reigns, he's had so many, <laughs> you know, I'd say probably the particularly the Triple H one. Uh, match he was built very strongly uh, in the lead up to that and and that would, would have been the sort of thing we're talking about but because of all of the other issues that are around him which I don't want to get into uh, it, it it just didn't come off that way and he didn't have the, the kind of person you know a, he didn't have the kind of person against him uh, that was that would fit um, that sort of billing as being like these are the two biggest guys of the current generation you know if, if just thinking about it, we as I said, the Cena, Cena Punk, where was you know, we did get Cena Batista. I would say that's possibly one of them. You could argue, uh, was, was that for a championship? I cannot remember. Yeah, it was for a championship, it was wasn't for it? the
0: WWE title. But and the, the thing about it to me, though, is that if 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 this type of story does its job, nothing else should supersede it, you know. Yep. It, it's yep. it's got to be, it's got to be but a Hogan Savage. It's got to be
1: Michael's Michael's taker.
0: Yeah. I mean, Mike Michaels and and, and Shawn, Michael, Shawn Michael's Bret Hart, um, Steve Austin and the rock at, at particularly at WrestleMania 17. Um, mm. I mean, there's just not that many examples of it. I mean, imagine if it being been like angle and HBK at WrestleMania 21 in the main event for the championship, you know? I think that changes things. I mean, it doesn't take anything away from what they did achieve. But, you know, if you've got these two, you know, the best of the, the best of of a generation comes back. I wrote about this in the greatest matches and rivalries of the WrestleMania era is kind of by focus of my piece on the angle Michaels rivalry.
1: Mm.
0: But you had the best in the history of WrestleMania against this guy who was really pushing for it for a couple of years and Mm -hmm. he got hurt, and that sucked, but he had the opportunity to go in and compete against Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania anyway, and it was like his last gasp opportunity to put himself on that level, and he blew it out of the water, and if you put that title on the line, um, I think you would have had something genuinely, even on a higher level than, than it still, I think, remains, but... They're just, yeah, I mean, this, this decade's been completely devoid of any such examples because you just, all of the big ones happen on the lesser shows. It's like the triple threat shield match. You put that in, in the main event of WrestleMania, give it 30 minutes, and all the hype in the world behind it, with one of them being the champion, one of them being the Royal Rumble winner, and, say, one of them being the Money in the Bank contract holder, and you put all those elements together, and all of them are firing on all cylinders, that could have been the match of this generation and instead it wasn't bad i mean it was a nice 19 minute triple threat match there was some good psychology to it but for every one person who says yeah but it was still really good yeah but it had the t- it had the chance to be all time blanking amazing i and think they the do
1: it. the thing that you get is i i really enjoy that match i recently rewatched it for a project i'm doing with um watching with listing Dean Ambrose best matches, and it's a really, really good match. But historically, you elevate something when you put it on a bigger stage. If that had been the SummerSlam main event, if that had been a WrestleMania main event, historically, it's saying these guys are, at our biggest time of the year, these guys are the people that we have chosen to lead the company. Uh, And putting them on battleground meant that it just didn't have that historic historic impact um it's still a great match doesn't take anything away from the match that happened in the ring on that night still a great match but historically it doesn't have the same effect
0: i think one of the best examples that i can recall in recent memory and at this point it's starting to become distant um of these two guys who were just on really hot streaks and ending up meeting uh in a big title match and sometimes it's just got to work out organically you know, it's just got to be one of those things that just um, that just happens when it happens, and you hope that it happens at a big time of year. But Backlash 2016, the main event between Ambrose and Styles. You know, mm. S- Styles was on a roll. Ambrose was was you know still very much on a roll from what had been a career year up to that point, and and they meet at Backlash. You back that up one month to. To SummerSlam, make it the main event, then it's a totally different ball game. Can you imagine the way that people would regard it if the exact same match that happened at Backlash had happened one month prior?
1: Amazing, another another great match. That yeah, once again, historically, it's consigned to a lesser category because it doesn't have that stage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can I just and I I know you haven't pre- probably haven't prepped this, but can you think of anyone in the next generation? So we've mentioned reigns and rolls, and i think we can both agree that's a that's definitely one of them but the next generation so the people that are coming through who you would peg for that sort of thing
0: well i think that there's a lot of potential in however they i mean i am someone who currently believes that the velveteen dream will find a way to transition to the main roster Mm -hmm. because to me he's kind of he's got john cena written all over him to me Mm -hmm. um that kind of guy who ha- who finds a gimmick that works, makes it very popular, and then ends up just tweaking it and in a lot of ways changing it altogether because he's got the charisma to do so. Once they put the ball in his court, can you imagine a couple of years down the line something like the Velveteen Dream or whatever his name is at that point up against Roman Reigns? I mean, that's the type of thing mm. that that's that's the type of thing I think that they could eventually do. You've got the guy who's dominated the decade against the dominated the the back end of the previous decade against the, the up and comer who's had all kinds of hype behind him. He rose the ranks, did it in NXT, did it in WWE. And then it, it, it just kind of culminates that way. I mean, that's, I didn't mm. prep that. No. And I would love to think about that more. I would have said Rollins mm. and styles was one of those um, yep. for right here, <laughs> right now. But again, here we are. It's, it's Money in the Bank instead of SummerSlam. It's Money in the Bank in, instead of WrestleMania, and so it's, it's it's a sign of the time. And but it's if,
1: May. What what happens in May traditionally? Seriously, <laughs> indeed. Yeah, I actually yeah. wrote a column about that this week. Is this is odd that so much is happening in May? And I think it's got to do with uh, largely with AEW uh, and also WWE just dra- dramatically trying to frantically find something that works um, and that, that keeps keeps people's attention. Uh, my my thought for that was Pete Dunne. Um, so Ooh. Pete Dunne, and you could say Pete Dunne and Velveteen Dream. It would be interesting to see what something between those two would look like. But my thought was Pete Dunne versus Johnny Gargano, uh, which we may actually get in NXT, funnily enough. And because that's been, you know, Mr. NXT America versus Mr. NXT UK, uh, and also a guy who is an amazingly good baby face, uh amazingly good hero, um Johnny Gargano against someone who can play an absolute scoundrel. Uh, I know Pete, Pete Dunne gets cheers now, but it's because he's so good at being a being an absolute jerk <laughs> yeah. uh, and so good at being a mongrel. Uh and that I think that that interaction could have could have could be very big if it was done in the right way, of course. But I really like your Roman Reigns Velveteen Dream. That does feel very naturally, very organically like the biggest star from this current generation we've got against the guy who's going to be the biggest star in the
0: future. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, man. We've uh, we've pretty much run out of time. There's another topic I wanted to cover. I want to ask you. Um, we do the the Sunday wrestling conversation. Every three weeks, do you want to come back on in three weeks and and be the the guest on the next one, and we'll and we'll talk about the the legacy of Dean Ambrose, which is a topic I really don't want to rush through because I think it's a fascinating one.
1: I would absolutely love to, Doc. I would be more than happy to, to come on and talk some Dean Ambrose.
0: Okay, so the first weekend in June, we'll we'll talk. We'll have a, a long a lengthy chat about the the legacy of Dean Ambrose because I really am curious to get your thoughts on where he ranks all time because that to me for someone that had his career i have a really hard time contextualizing where he ranks amongst his peers historically and i'd love to get into that topic with you but uh, ladies and gentlemen we're gonna re- go ahead and wrap it up for today if you have any similar ideas that echo our let's cwwe integrate some sports themes into their product and change things up a bit and try some new things and take some risks creatively, then share them with us. I am at the doc LOP on Twitter. Sir Sam is.
1: Sir underscore Samuel on Twitter.
0: Hit us up. Let us know what you think. Let us know in the comments section to this podcast on LOP.net. And check out the rest of the LOP radio shows throughout the course of the rest of this week. So. Sam, anything you want to plug? You mentioned the column that you wrote earlier this week. You got a lot going on in the writing game. You want to plug anything? Yep.
1: Uh, yeah, so I wrote a, a column earlier this week just talking about how WWE and AEW are kind of in a bit of an arms race at the moment. Uh, possibly not so overtly from the WWE side of things, but when you add everything up, it, it really – Shows that they are, they are going all out in a month where they normally do not do a whole lot. Uh, and of course, AEW are, are gearing up to try and launch their first ever pay per view, which they're going to want to go off with a bang. So I've kind of written about that and myself and implicate and the implications, uh, are written slash have written, depending when, when we release it. Uh, the, a, a column previewing the best of the super juniors in new japan uh, which is starting on monday which is pretty exciting
0: absolutely yeah well everybody check out those columns sir sam again the 2018 lop columnist of the year a quick shout out from me to primetime who i am on the main page sort of going through a conversational idea he had uh with me in written form he's had a series of long-form discussions with with various writers about the matches that they would take to watch on an island if they were stranded for an extended period of time. Uh, I'm going through my part with him right now in my column, The Doctor's Orders. And so shout-out to Primetime for really spearheading the idea that Sam brought to the forefront when we were talking about what we were going to discuss on today's podcast. I think it turned out to be a really timely and interesting topic. Please let us know your thoughts. Everybody have an absolutely fantastic week. For Sir Sam, this has been the Doc Chad Matthews. We'll see you next time. Uh, this is just what the doc ordered. I'm saying welcome. They sick of the other shows. Chad here to help them. The author of the Mania Era is bringing terror on LOP radio. This is the prepare for the knowledge that he about to showcase. Like a bar that you lift, his opinions hold weight. He wrote a few books and he's working on another for y'all. This a five-star podcast. Chad, let's get it on. Author of the WrestleMania Era, the Book of Smith.